and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Friday, the 5th of November, 2021, and this is episode 39B. On today's episode, we're going to start off with the news as per usual, kicking it off with two big points from Image Comics, one being that they are no longer doing second printings, and the other being that their creators have formed a union. We'll discuss both of those and all the information that I have for them when we get there. Uh, we have a lot of general MCU rumors, um, including stuff about a MODOK live action show, the She-Hulk show, Wakanda Forever, the Moon Knight show, and some general Nova information. And then we have some news on the Werewolf by Night Halloween special that's coming out Halloween 2022. And finally, news of Eternals um, having its first queer relationship. Well, first same-sex relationship, really, in the MCU and how that's kind of being handled. And then just my general thoughts on the whole thing. After the news, we will go through the comic book pick list. We only have a few things that I'm going to talk about on the pick list. But the few things that I'm talking about are top tier comics and those are including Dark Knights of Steel number one, The Human Target number one, The Me You Love in the Dark number four, Dirtbag Rapture number two, and Batman Reptilian number five, which is not, I don't think kids listen to this podcast, but you don't want to be a kid listening to bat anything to do with Batman Reptilian. Um, once we go through comics, as I did promise on the last episode, we are doing a Morbius trailer breakdown, going over all of the stuff from the trailer, uh, including the cast, the Morbius from the comics, behind the scenes information that you might want before you go into the movie or and you get any more information from it, and then potential connections that it could have for the MCU in the future, because really we're at a point where anything can happen. Finally, I'm going to wrap up the episode with the Eternals precast, as today is November 5th. It is the release date of Eternals. I have had quite a few things for this movie spoiled for me already, one of which we did discuss already in a fair amount of depth, um, because that was kind of impossible to be on the internet and not have that spoiled for you already. Uh, but this other one can't believe they just put it in the headline and I just was trying to get the names of the cast members but came across that instead. But I won't tell you what that is, but I will tell you, you'll probably dig the heck out of it. Um, and it's from the one of the two post-credit scenes that are in Eternals. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk more about that when we get there. Um, but that is the plan for this B episode on this Friday. Before I get into anything else, um, I did learn in the past couple of days that the best way to get your podcast to be featured in any way on Apple Podcasts is to have people review it. Doesn't matter if you don't like the podcast or not, please go if you review it five stars. Um, whether you like it or not, you can say whatever you want about it, but as long as you review it five stars on Apple Podcasts, if that's where you're listening to it or if you have access to do that, um, then that will get the podcast bumped up to be featured on 
you know, whatever category it is that I'm in. Um, and that's just for whatever reason, that's how they do it. Podcasts that get five star reviews get featured um, in whatever cycle it is that they do more often on Apple Podcasts. So if you have that access to do that, uh, rate the show five stars. Sorry if you don't like it or whatever, write whatever you want. You don't probably have to write anything if you really don't want to, but that would be super cool uh, because that would get a little bump in viewership and we can grow this fun little community. If you would like to find me online, you can do so on Instagram. My username is Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and I do have the comics. My Twitter username is Savage She Geek because sensational was too many letters. You can pretty much just find podcast updates and regular Twitter kind of stuff on my Twitter. My website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com where you can find uh, a lot of different things, including the old writing that I would do, um, which I have kind of replaced with the podcast. Uh, so old reviews and discussions and pull lists and pick lists and whatnot are all there in the archive if you would like to go over any of that older stuff. I also have some reading orders of some favorite female characters, a few of which are going to be coming into relevancy soon in either the comics or cinematic universes at Marvel, and those are Madeline Pryor, Ileana Rasputin, and Clea of the Faultine being Clea. Doctor Strange is sometimes wife figure. Um, they never actually got married. But anyway, um, <laughs> those are all available on my site. And those are all people who are going to be very relevant uh, coming up here in late 2021, early 2022. Also on my site are my pod notes where I post the notes throughout the week that I take to remember what to say on the podcast and things that I want to make sure that I discuss. Uh, I have that up there in case you prefer to read the news as opposed to hear me talk about it on the show or for anybody who wants to keep up with a podcast who is perhaps hearing impaired so they can do that as well. Um, I also have links to everywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which does include well, most places that you can, and also YouTube, uh, where I also post action figure, figure, action figure review videos, um, including some SH figure art stuff, the HasLab Sentinel. I have, I know a lot of people aren't getting any movement on their shipping or their tracking stuff. They have been sent out um, a couple of months ago at this point. Uh, we have ours, and I did put the unboxing kind of reveal video up there. If you have any questions about it, feel free free to comment or find me otherwise on social media to ask because uh, there does seem to be a really big issue with people getting theirs at all around the same time as other people getting theirs. So hopefully that'll get straightened out. But until, until then, there is that video if you are at all curious about it. I do have a new podcast Patreon. It is under Sensational She Geek, which is also my YouTube channel, if you missed that. Uh, it is set up for donations to support the podcast because I do work a job outside of the podcast. I don't subscribe to the culture or whatever. It's just my day job, uh, what I do for money, so that I can keep doing the podcast. So any donations that come through any of the means that you can do so go directly to support the podcast so that I can work more on this and less on my day job. Um, and in the future, with more subscribers, 
viewers and listeners and patrons and things like that. I hope to be able to have enough um, success on the podcast that I can put more effort and money into it um, and have it have things like sound effects and transitions and you know, an intro, whatever the heck that cheesiness would be, but, um, all goals for the future of the podcast, which you can help get reached by donating. Uh, there's the Patreon and then there is the, uh, the, the Kofi cash app, Venmo and PayPal, whatever else is possible there. They're all linked on my link tree, which should appear at the bottom of each episode's description. Uh, finally, I did make a couple of Redbubble sales with the sticker that <laughs> it says a woman's place is in the comic shop. Uh, it's kind of a twist on the more negative saying that's similar to that. It is on Redbubble under She Geek Shop. If you are at all interested, you can get it on a shirt, a mug, a print, whatever else you really interested in because it's what rebel does um but it's kind of a fun one so i figured i would mention that here as well let's go ahead and get the news going here well first thing i want to mention uh, i just did see this on twitter is that the naomi premiere date has been announced if you recall naomi is the brian michael bendis dc comics um miniseries that he did. He created the character Naomi. Um, they are making a show out of that on the CW and that is going to premiere on January 11th. So there's your first bit of news there. Uh, the first two, the next two things that we're going to be talking about are the two interesting points of dealing with image comics. One is that they have formed a union. We're going to talk about that next, but first, um, Image will no longer be doing second printings, which is a bit of an interesting point. Um, obviously, there are a lot of supply chain issues going on, and they do talk about that in the quote that I have here that I'll address in just a second. Um, but you always have to wonder, you know, is there something else going on? Here's the, here is the letter that they sent out to comic shops and bookstores who get stuff from them. It says, as many of you are now undoubtedly aware, the current shipping delays, supply chain crunch, and paper shortages are creating nationwide issues across many industries, and that impacts our industry too. I'm very sure every publisher will have different responses to this crisis, but at Image, we're proactively streamlining our releases to reflect these circumstances. Starting now and for the foreseeable future, there will be no second printings of any titles. Please keep this in mind as you order. There will be limited stock available for orders and we will not be reprinting anything that sells through at the distributor level. Um, there is also a quote from Images publisher slash partner slash co-owner Eric Stevenson. He says, when we sell out and more importantly, when you sell out, we know we're all losing both time and money. It typically takes three weeks to a month to get a second printing to market, and that's three weeks to a month we could have been selling more books. That's frustrating. I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, that's, uh, I don't know, that logic. Um, but this is really interesting because as many articles are pointing out, um, multiple printings have become collector items. You get different variant covers, you get the rarity of ones that are, say, fifth printings, and there are only 2,000 copies ordered by shops, and that becomes a rare comic to find, and that um, the, the value of it skyrockets like that. Uh, so that's 
kind of an interesting thing that they're taking away those opportunities for value, but at the same time, um, kind of creating, because they did say straight up here, limited stock available for our orders and we will not be printing anything that's, uh, reprinting anything that sells through at the distributor level, which means once they print them all, they are done printing them all. They're not going back to do more. However, money they have boxed up at the printers is the amount that are going to end up potentially in customers' hands. Um, so this is going to create a, what I'm foreseeing is it's going to create a, um, it's a kind of a comic scare where people are going to be wanting to make sure that they get certain things. The thing that I'm thinking about most with this is Saga. As we talked about a few weeks ago, Saga is returning, I believe it was January. Um, Saga is from Image, and if there are not going to be second printing, Saga is a notoriously under-ordered comic. Um, and this is where it gets kind of tricky for comic shops is that with, with this whole second printings and stuff is that there is hype, there is actual interest, and then there is, um, just extended life interest for comics. And that oftentimes can be so incredibly varied, even on a single issue of something, um, where you'll order, a comic shop can order what they think is more than enough for something and they can still sell out or they can order what they think is enough for something and end up with all but three of those copies still on the shelf because the interest in that community just wasn't there. Um, so it's kind of a tricky thing to predict what comic shops reactions to this will necessarily be, especially if image really is only going to have a limited stock and there's going to be a maximum number of orders that comic shops can put through. That means it's a maximum number of issues that their subscribers and their walking customers are going to be able to have access to. Assuming that every subscribe, they have, assuming that comic shops will have access to enough image comics that all of their subscribers can have what they want and there will be a few left on the shelves, this will still create a great deal of scarcity and add probably a lot of value to image comics that are coming out during these no second printings times just I, I would I would think possibly not if there wasn't that thing of limited stock available because if they comic shops could order 5,000 copies of of saga number whatever it is when they come back here what is it 55 um and you know and have way too many of them on the shelves if they could order as many as they want and that wouldn't they wouldn't have concerns about running out and it would probably still sell through time because it's saga um but it, since there's a limited quantity available for orders we're gonna have to see how much that's gonna be that's available before we get too ahead of ourselves here but i'm predicting this is gonna cause some scarcity for certain titles and i don't know about you guys but in my locality um, not so much recently, but a lot over the summer, it was particularly bad. Um, and the spring too, the delays of comics getting to comic shops on Wednesdays and Tuesdays. Um, we had some really bad issues with the USPS, um, not getting stuff to the shops on the right day. 
Um, and there was a lot of issues with Diamond, especially not getting all of the comics that you order. One or two have been dropped from the comic shop's list of things they should have delivered. And then they're just out there in the ether and you just don't get them. And that's it. Those are just a lost supply that you could have had. So if things like that continue to happen in this coming year in 2021 uh, or 2022, that could be a big problem because if you have entire comic shops not getting, say, Saga 62 and the other shops are all going to be sold out because they can only order so many. I don't know. Um, It kind of makes me anxious to think about. But again, we don't know how much the limited stock is going to be. That could be plenty for people that, I don't know, but it's Saga. And this isn't just affecting Saga. This is affecting all Image comics. So anything, you know, die is over, whatever. Anything that you have been reading from Image is going to be affected by this. So make sure that you have a pull list set up um, and make sure you're picking it up from your comic shop every now and then, because that's the other side of the getting comics. You got to do your part too. But um, moving on to the second bit of image news in a landmark vote that has kind of taken the industry by surprise, but at the same time, not really because this shit's got to change at some point. Image Comics, the workers of Image Comics have formed a union. Let's go ahead and read a little bit about that. It is called Comic Book Workers United. They announce themselves as a union that works under Image Comics. It is made up of staffers at Image voted by a supermajority to declare the formation of a union. I have a couple of statements here. They are kind of long. Um, so I, uh, the first one is the one that's really important. And then they have the seven goals of their union, which we will kind of skim through. So let's, let's read what the union has to say, because this is kind of, as I said, a landmark thing. It says, for years, comics publishing workers have watched our professional efforts support creators and delight readers. Sadly, we've also watched that same labor be taken for granted at best and exploited at worst. Keeping our heads above water was the new normal before the pandemic, and since its onset, we have been expected to take on even larger workloads with fewer resources. Our workforce and the comic book and publishing industry as a whole is overtaxed and overvalued. This is detrimental not only to general staff, but also to our creators who are paid to severe and and the audiences they were paid to serve and the audiences they in turn work to entertain. Our labor is integral to the comic book industry. It requires specialized skills, dedication, and makes quality publishing possible. We love what we do, but loving what you do doesn't mean you can't or shouldn't ask for improvements for your working conditions. It is with this in mind with and with great hope for the future of Image Comics and the comic book industry itself that we announce our intent to form a union and request voluntary recognition. This this should not be radical or revolutionary and, in fact, or and is, in fact, a natural development for a company that started the way Image Comics did. In the early stages of organizing, we looked at to Image's founders for inspiration, their dreams of self-determination and more equitable treatment in the industry they loved and helped make successful are our dreams. We are honored to grow their legacy by taking this step to give all comic book industry professionals, regardless of title, the same rights, guarantees, security, and protections which the founders sought when they broke from away from 
being from the big two to start their own company. In fact, several months into our organizing efforts, Jim Valentino made a comment on social media celebrating union accomplishments. That was the moment we knew this could work. Despite years of union busting and anti-organization sentiments in the American workforce, we know that Image has, at its heart, a desire to be first when it comes to doing the right thing for comics workers. That's why we will win, because our success is the company's success. Our success is the creator's success. Our success is the reader's success. I do think that it is not predictable definitely not predictable but it, it it does make sense that it would be image who makes this move as that quote does state image was founded because creators like eric larson and todd mcfarlane were tired of feeling like marvel and dc the traditional big two were taking advantage of them as creators they didn't feel like they had the rights they didn't feel like they were taken care of they didn't feel like they were appreciated so what did they do they broke off started their own company the way that they felt it should have been and for a time i'm sure that worked out for them for them but when the men on the bottom become the men on the top they tend to lose priorities and there's a couple of things with all of that in mind. Um, unions don't typically pop up for no reason. That is something that I have been kind of thinking over and over again as I go through all of this information. Um, ta Jonathan Hickman um, stated in an interview recently, or at some point recently, I think, that Mike Huddleston, the artist alongside his writing on Decorum, was punished financially for not being able to meet Image's deadlines, which Hickman himself stated he thought were far too extreme for the work that Hiddleston was Huddleston. I've been saying Hiddleston, it's Huddleston was putting out. And honestly, knowing how mind blowing Huddleston's work was has been in Decorum, I am more than inclined to believe him. That's why Decorum has been delayed so often was because they were not being given the resources, they weren't being paid because they weren't able to meet ridiculous deadlines. If you're putting out quality material you need the time to do so um this is not the first time i have heard stories of image taking advantage in modern times especially very recently of creators who are trying to do the best that they can and image is kind of taking advantage of them for that um with all of that known, that is the reason why I sort of refer to the big two as the big three occasionally, because Image really has um, blown up to the same level in a lot of ways that Marvel and DC Comics have. So you see even clearer now then how it makes so much sense that it would be Image, the employees of Image Comics, who started the way that it did who would look up from their desk, realize that this is not the company they were promised Image was, and do something about it. Um, personally, I think that I should. I think we should all be fully supporting this, especially having heard and learned the horror stories that we have in the past few years of the industry just being completely ridiculous to creators, especially among the bigger publishers, we'll just say. Um, do Marvel and DC have anything to fear? That really depends on the immediate, not the immediate response from Image, because we do have that, and I'll get to that in a second, but the 
overtime response from Image. It depends on how the union survives and how the union is successful. If the union does end up looking like it's going to be successful in getting what it wants done, there will probably be a lot more unions or a lot more people joining the union um, and the union gaining more power across more publishers, which is a good thing. Unions only become evil when you get the wrong people in charge of them and it becomes more of a chore to be a part of the union than the bonuses that you get from being a part of it. Um, there is that line that things can get bad and it can cross over into the uglier territory, yes. Um, but as long as everyone is working for everybody being treated well, it should all be good. It should all be positive. The response that Image has put out is a single sentence. I guess unsurprisingly because they are probably stepping on the world's thinnest glass right now. They are in a very touchy place. Um... Literally, they are in a position that is going to determine the future of the comic book industry. So, um, can't really say I'm surprised by the one sentence response, only what is this less than a week out? Um, because I think this was Monday that this was announced, Monday evening. So, um, what they said was, Image has always believed in the fair and equitable treatment of staff and has always strived to support employees to the best of our company's ability with regards to their employment. Period. That's it. That's all I had to say. Um, doesn't say that they support the union. It doesn't say that they don't support the union. It is a very blank statement. A very open-ended for good reason. They don't want to say anything right now that's going to get them to put their feet in their mouth and regret it later. Um, they don't want to come out and say, yeah, we don't want a union because that's just going to be like, oh shit, they don't want their employees to fight for what they want. That's not a good sign. So you see, it's a bit complicated, but overall, I do think this is something that we as, I was going to say viewers, as um, readers should be supporting, especially keeping in mind things that could come long term from unions like this broadening into when comics get picked up for other media like tv and film the rights that creators be it whichever publisher that they worked for at the time when they worked on that project the rights that they retain and the payment that they get for their ideas that they put in the comics making it onto the screen that is something i personally uh, it doesn't seem to be addressed in the image thing, in the image union thing, because I don't think that's their initial concern. But that's the kind of thing that down the line, unions like this forming will be able to address, and that's an exciting factor for me. So if you want to support this, the best way to do so is to sign this petition that is in support of the union, um, to, to just so that you would like this union to be recognized officially by image. I will have that petition linked in the episode of this description, so please go ahead and sign that or fill that form out um, to show your support for the workers of the comics industry. We have had a plethora of MCU news coming this week. We'll start off with one that is less of a rumor and more just of a, I can see this as being a likely thing, and that is dealing with the Spider-Man 3 second trailer. Um, obviously, it probably should have been out by now. The movie's in less than a month and a half or 
something like that. Um, but apparently the reason for the delay is a dispute between Disney and Sony. I've mentioned it before on the podcast that when it comes to No Way Home and the Spider-Man shit right now, Sony is the one, are the ones who are in charge of all of the marketing and advertisement and stuff like that. So Kevin Feige, who we all know is kind of, um, a man of detail when it comes to those things, it's probably losing his mind, honestly, with all of the leaks uh, and whatnot going on. Um, so he probably, the, well, the theories are that he probably wants the, the trailer to be out already because at this point they know, just to show them the damn thing. But Sony is probably holding that back, being withholding because they want to have the little power play um, and it's just making people frustrated. So, uh, that's what we got for Spider-Man. <laughs> uh, I did not know that there was going to be a live action, uh, Modoc. <laughs> I had not realized that there was, um, that had apparently been discussed in the wind a few times, but apparently it is a done deal. Jim Carrey has been cast as Modoc. Uh, this, these leaks I'm going to be talking about now are all kind of from the same source, apparently, allegedly, um, in this first leak, we have Jim Clary, Jim Clary, Jesus, Jim Carrey has apparently been cast as Modoc for multiple Disney Plus shows, rumored to first appear in She-Hulk on Disney Plus, and also in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which, I mean... Quantum, I mean, Quantumania is probably going to be a weird freaking movie in the best way possible. So I'm not going to write off anything bizarre sounding, especially this early on and things they're currently filming right now. With speaking of that, another leak where the same guy, I guess, says that Jonathan Majors listens to the Kang the Conqueror theme song from Loki episode six on set of Quantumania, which if you're unfamiliar with it, I hope you could hear that clearly enough, but it's a lot of that kind of stuff. So, um, I just get a kick out of thinking about Jonathan Majors with little earbuds in listening to the creeping up behind you villain song while he's getting, getting in the mindset of King. I think it's kind of a fun thing to think about there. In terms of She-Hulk leaks, apparently Mark Ruffalo's Professor Hulk does revert to his human form in order to give a blood transfusion to his cousin Jennifer Walters, where it is noted um, that months before Shang-Chi credit scene was revealed of um I don't want to spoil that I haven't done a Shang-Chi spoiler, but anyway we'll move on um <laughs> Bruce Banner does struggle, apparently, to transform into the Hulk again after this, and his cousin Jennifer as She-Hulk has to help him relearn. There is apparently a scene said to involve Bruce and Jen fighting in their Hulk forms as training, and then they get together for drinks at a bar, and Bruce uses the Hulk clap after Jennifer sucker punches him, but that scene may have been cut, the leaker notes. Tim Roth does apparently have a major role, um, although it is unknown if the time is spent with him as Abomination 
or as his human self, Emil Blonsky. Um, it's kind of confirmed also that Jamila Jamil is Titania and the main villain of the show. I kind of like the idea that possibly she'll end up being friends with She-Hulk by the end. We'll see. Um, there are apparently four other actors who are doing motion capture besides the two Hulks, Abomination and Titania. The rumor is that those are the Wrecking Crew members. William Hurt, who plays General Ross, is going to appear in the series. He is Red Hulk in the comics, so that is a possibility he could go that direction. John Bass is apparently also in the She-Hulk series. He, he, you may recognize as the chubbier guy from Baywatch um, and Miracle Workers. Hilarious. Uh, I would bet lots of money that he is going to be Zapper, who uh, had his first appearance in Savage She-Hulk number two. He is Jennifer's lovesick neighbor, who I cannot get a grip on what his age is for the life of me, because um, I think he still lives with his parents, but he's like an adult man with a he's an adult white man with a dark afro. It's very strange. It's the seventies. What can you say? Um, but I'm betting that John Bass is going to be playing Zapper. I would bet real money on that. Uh, finally, b apparently Betty Ross is not going to be in She-Hulk. A little bit disappointing, but not surprising. It has been a while since Liv Tyler has talked with Marvel, I bet. Um, and finally, I think I already said finally, but the real finally, uh, Charlie Cox is once again rumored to be appearing as Daredevil, um, but not the Daredevil from the Netflix show. He's just going to be, you know, our, this universe's Daredevil. So, um, kind of adding a twist to the rumor that already exists there. As for Wakanda Forever, we have leaks that Okoye is going to be wearing the Black Panther suit at point at some point in the movie, but she is not going to be chosen as the next full-time Black Panther. That kind of makes sense. She's going to be the general, I suppose. So I, I would kind of check out that they would decide to put her in the Black Panther suit. Um, the ending of The Eternals, which I will be seeing tonight, apparently has something that happens with the ocean that aggravates Namor, and that will get brought into Wakanda forever. And then previous rumors have said that Dwayne Johnson, aka The Rock, wants a Marvel movie role. There are now new rumors claiming that Black Adam is being filmed on stage right next to Black Panther 2, um, and that he is visiting that set frequently, but it's unknown if he actually has a role or is just going to hang out. If I'm, if I'm going to guess if he does have a role, I would assume that that would be some kind of flashback to like a, a tribal re leader of Wakanda past. I really don't think The Rock would fit into modern MCU as anyone but himself. There are also Moon Knight rumor leaks for Disney+. Plus. Apparently, Mahershala Ali, who is reportedly playing Blade, will be in the Moon Knight series. Dracula is going to be a major villain, and that is, is going to be kept a big secret, but Ethan Hawke will be revealed later in the series as Dracula. Hawke has previously described his character as similar to cult leaders. He takes a lot of inspiration from footage of them, so that's really not a surprising take that he might be Dracula. I can definitely see that happening. Uh, there's also apparently been a major Egyptian actor cast as Khonshu, which the article I was looking at, the stuff from misspelled Khonshu. <laughs> uh, the Egyptian god of vengeance. Moon Knight is the fist of Khonshu in the comics. Um, he's Khonshu is part of the um, Egyptian pantheon in Marvel Comics. 
Um, it's kind of a cool thing, but is not really a good guy. <laughs> Concha doesn't necessarily want good for humanity in the comics, so it's kind of complicated. But uh, finally, for Moon Knight, Ao from Black Panther is said to have a major role in the series, and that Oscar Isaac's Mark Spector is going to be fighting a target that the Dora Milaje had been tracking. Um, and then Ao and Mark meet each other, and he gets, or she gets him into the U.S. from, I guess, Egypt or wherever. And the last leaks we have from Marvel were involving Nova. Uh, it said that the decimation of Xandar at the start of Avengers Infinity War will be featured in the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 or the Marvels, and that John C. Riley's Corman may have survived. Um, or I guess what this is trying to say is that he has survived. So there we go. Um, and then we also already know that a Nova movie is rumored and Nova the character is also rumored to be appearing in the Marvels. So it all just kind of adds a little bit of legitimacy rumors around the same kind of topics matching up. So that's all the MCU stuff that I've got. Um, well, all the MCU rumors that I've got. Um, we're going to move on now to discussing the... Disney Plus Werewolf by Night special, which will also be involving the MCU, or more accurately, will be part of the MCU. Um, it's going to be a Werewolf by Night Halloween special coming to Disney Plus next year. We had kind of sort of known about this, but at this point, we have a lead character cast, which is actor Gail Garcia Bernal. He's going to be leading the show. It is the first Disney Plus show for Marvel that's going to have a Mexican actor in the lead role, who is, by the way, going to be playing Zorro in the upcoming film called Z, apparently, uh, co-starring Kiersey Clemens. I don't know who that is, but that was just a fact I came across. Um, as of yet, it is unclear which character of Werewolf by Night Bernal is going to be playing. Uh, there have been two incarnations in the pages of the comics, beginning with Jack Russell, who was a descendant of Lycanthropes, which you understand the whole werewolf thing, who has the ability to turn into a werewolf with or without a full moon. The second incarnation, which is fairly more recent, was Jake Gomez. He is a Native American man whose family was cursed with lycanthropy, and that, I believe, was partially written by Taboo of the Black Eyed Peas, so fun fact there. Also, fun fact, um, the first Werewolf by Night, uh, Jack Russell, he was also close friends with Morbius, so we'll talk about Morbius later on and more about their friendship. Um, and finally, with Werewolf by Night, that was the comic that is famous for introducing Moon Knight in the first place. So you see, we're getting, you know, Blade, Morbius, Werewolf by Night, Moon Knight. We're, we're getting a corner of the new MCU over here. It starts with an H and it ends with an R. It's horror, okay? Don't... It's horror. We're getting a horror side of the MCU. Is horror. I hope I can hear me saying that right. <laughs> um... But it's pretty cool. I, I'm hoping that that's going to open up some doors to a lot more interest in these kinds of characters. Because there's so much, so much on that side of things with Marvel. Um, so that'd be super cool. Werewolf by Night next year. Do you think it will be... My bet, honestly, my bet's going to be Jake Gomez and probably not Jack uh, Russell. Also because Jack Russell is like, oh, he's a Jack Russell Terrier. I don't think anybody could take that seriously. He's a werewolf named after a Jack Russell Terrier. 
no thank you. Um, and as for Morbius, you can still definitely make it so that Jake Gomez is werewolf by night and still has a friendship with Morbius the way that Russell did. So, <laughs> booyah. For our last bit of news here, we're going to talk about Eternals having the first homosexual relationship in the MCU, um, which has caused some issues for them. I mean, theoretically, we all know that Marvel Studios is a big enough corporation that they considered all of these factors when they decided to put that relationship into the movie. Um, the factors being that it has now been pulled from Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and Kuwait in an apparent ban due to the portrayal of those homosexual relationships because it is illegal to be gay in those countries. Not fun fact. Um, it's 2021, folks, and that's still a thing in the world. So, um, in case you were unaware, Brian Tyree Henry is playing Fastos, who is married to a man called Ben, just a normal dude, just a normal guy. Uh, he's a Dubai, Dubai born actor, Haz Slyman. Slyman, I probably said that wrong, I'm sorry. Um, which you could look up some things that the actor has said about being able to portray this role, being from where he's from. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of a life-changing thing for him, and so I'm really happy he was able to do that. Uh, but the two of them are married in the movie, and that is what is, you know, in certain parts of the world is being seen as what can't be shown in theaters, so that's why it's being pulled. But aside from the ban... Uh, which too bad for those viewers for not being able to see it, of course, just like Angelina Jolie said. Uh, I do think this is an important step, not just for representation of queers in media, but in normalizing queer lifestyles in real life. It's something that my husband and I talked about after finishing Superman and the Authority, the four issues by Grant Morrison and Mikkel Janin, um, how Apollo and Midnighter, and honestly going beyond that into Superman... John and Red Robin, they aren't as so far traditional representations of queer men that we've seen in media. Just like Carolina Dean isn't your standard queer girl, you know, um, that they show you in media. Usually you see queer girls in media and they're butch and Carolina's not that. Um, there isn't one type of gay man and gayness definitely does not equate femininity. That's something that society has gotten stuck in line with that idea that never should have been related to it. So having this big, tough, manly, immortal, dark-skinned guy as a married gay man in this huge, very front and center part of media is so, so cool. It's straying from the norm because, again, there is no normal type of queer before we go into the pick list, I have to tell you that I did not have a chance to read yet because I could not find the issues they sold out. Superman, Batman, Authority Special, and Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. I really wanted to read both of those, but they sold out, so good for them. Apparently they were good, and that is good news for us readers. So let's pick up with Dark Knights of Steel number one. This is by Tom Taylor and Yasmin Putri, and it was so fun to read. Um, Tom Taylor, as I say every single time I bring him up on my podcast, has found his niche of where he is successful in writing comics, and that is alternate realities. Um, 
this one is unlike any of the others that have been done, and I'm very excited about it. It's a medieval DC universe, I suppose, and there's a lot of surprises and a lot of things that are different in a way that I did not expect. We kind of knew going into it the main characters who are going to be involved are going to be obviously Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, um, or rather the counterparts that'll be on this universe, right? And then there's Black Lightning, Harley Quinn, Black Canary, um, and I think that was the main, I think Green Arrow might have been one too, but that was like the main list of um, the characters who we're going to see these alternate versions of. Um, and the story, not it's not just the versions of the characters who are different, it's their lives are different as well. We get, instead of the child of the elves arriving on Earth from the destruction of Krypton, it is a pregnant Lara and Jor-El that escape Krypton together, and she gives birth to Kal-El on Earth. Um, so there was never a time that he knew Krypton for any amount of time. They fled with him. Um, it's, it's, it, it gives birth, it gives birth to a, to a cool world here. And then you have Black Lightning in a neighboring kingdom. He is the king of, um, you know, this empire and he has Constantine here as like his little prophecy guy under his thumb getting all drugged out and making prophecies for the king. Um, and I believe what this prophecy that we are privy to at the beginning of the issue is him citing the arrival of the elves to Earth. So then you get years later, young Kal-El is the prince of the realm, a young man, uh, under constant threat of attack from that other king of the opposing kingdom, Black Lightning, the enemy king. Bruce is Kal's black... Bat Knight, Ooh, I can't speak, and the ill-fated mission they go on in this issue uh, is against Banshee, who is this world's Black Canary, aka Dinah Lance, and Batman or Bat Knight survives with some kind of miracle, and then his body survives one more, uh, or is, it survives more than once against the odds of what it's being attacked by, and so he ends up bringing that up to the king and queen. Um... Turns out he is the bastard son of Jor-El and Martha Wayne. So that's pretty freaking cool. And Jor-El wanted Bruce to be king because the Waynes ruled here on this land before them. But Bruce argues that he's a Wayne bastard, but really he's the intersection of the two families. So he would be the perfect ruler. Uh, so, you know, good old Bruce denying himself happiness and stuff. Uh, but we also get to see that he has his Robins who are like, uh, the collection of the comic versions of the name, and he uses them as spies, including one who was apparently in Black Lightning's court as a spy. Harley Quinn is there as the court of El Jester, unsurprisingly, and she follows Bruce around like a lovesick puppy, and there is no Diana as of yet, but the dynamic of the kingdoms makes me extremely curious as to how she's going to turn out when we do see her. Um, we also saw very briefly Green Arrow and Green Lantern, um, the latter of which is potentially a villain of the series. I'm unsure. Oh, yeah, he, he asked. I think he is because then um, that's right. The issue ends with Jor-El getting shot in the eye with an arrow um, from the combination of Green Arrow and Green Lantern. So he probably did. 
So is it going to be Bruce or Cal who succeeds the throne? Probably not Bruce. I mean, maybe in the end, but not initially. The Human Target number one is another Tom King series. Um, and once again, this is playing out in classic Tom King style. This is going to be 12 issues, um, which is a little bit relevant because it's going to take place over the 12 days that a man is slowly dying. Uh, I'll explain to you the issue so that you understand what that means. It's about Christopher Chance. The, the start of the issue takes place in a hotel room where Christopher Chance dies uh, thinking about the smell of some woman on his suit. So he's in love. Great. Okay. But he dies. The next pages take place 12 days previously when he is disguised as Lex Luthor in front of an audience with the remnants of bad taste and coffee in his mouth. A man comes on stage and shoots him, not knowing he's not Lex Luthor, and that he's wearing body armor of some kind beneath the suit. The pressure makes him spit up some of the foul coffee, and they arrest the shooter. Later, while giving Luthor the rundown after the fact, he starts to feel the effects of poison. Luthor calls the Justice League, who later tell uh, Chance, Christopher Chance, this carry, that he'd been poisoned by his morning coffee. And if he takes these pills that they have, he'll live for up to 12 days. Otherwise, it would have killed him immediately if he hadn't thrown most of the coffee up when the bullet hit him. Chance requests that they not inform Batman so that he can solve his own murder, though the poison was meant for Luther, allegedly. Dr. Midnight calls him later, giving him an update on some research he did on the poison. It had a specific kind of radiation attached to it, harmless but sticky radiation that comes from a place called the Ring Break, where only the Justice League International have been and returned to Earth from. So, Dr. Midnight theorizes, they must be the ones who placed this poison in Luther's coffee and was an attempt to kill Luther, is what his guess is. It traces back to them. The Justice, that's how, that's how the issue ends, basically. But the Justice League International that we're going to be dealing with on the series includes Mr. Miracle, a.k.a. Scott Free, Fire, Beatrice DaCosta, Ice, Tora Olasdottir, Green Lantern, Guy Gardner, Batman, Bruce Wayne, of course, Captain Adam, Nathaniel Adam, Blue Beetle, Jamie Reyes, Booster Gold, Michael Carter, Black Canary, Dinah Lance, Martian Manhunter, John Jones, Red Rocket, whose name I'm not honestly sure who that is, and just Gnort. Just Gnort. No last name. No secret identity. Just Gnort. <laughs> I think he's a Green Lantern at one point or another, but um, just Gnort. <laughs> um, so that's, that's really cool. I assume that each of these issues that we're going to be getting is going to be taking place on another day of the 12 days, counting down to the day that he dies. If I was to guess, the poison was meant for him. It was not meant for Luther. They knew. Or whoever put it there knew. <clears throat> the Me You Love in the Dark, as I choke on my coffee. The Me You Love in the Dark, number four. Um, as we predicted, the whirlwind romance starts to tune, turn dark as soon as the artist, Rose, tries to change anything. Specifically, tries to do anything that doesn't involve the creature. The sun finally comes out and she wants to go outside, but he convinces her to stay in by making decadent food spread across the table. And so she does what he wants. 
but it starts to wear on her and her body language and tone change, though she denies anything is wrong. She needs space and spends more time alone until finally she snaps and the creature blows up at her for yelling, destroying the work that she had been having in her room. He comes back later and apologizes, does stuff to try and make up for it, but she has withdrawn, seeing this for all what it is, a trap. Things go really wrong when her agent finally shows up to see what the hell is going on with her. He's worried about her. He finds her with all of her art, which he also finds to be extremely worrisome uh, about her mental state. And when he tries to take her out of the house with him, she freaks. He asks her why she can't leave and she finally whispers that he won't let me. And of course, the thing pops up behind him and kills him. We haven't seen the body, but we saw the blood splatter on her face when it happened, so that's pretty obvious. Um, I think Instinct told her that this was a bad idea from the start, that this creature was not a good thing for her to be attaching herself to, but she fell into that trap of, maybe he'll be different for me. Maybe I can make him bluff me enough that he'll be good for me. He won't hurt me. And I have to think about Melissa Benoist, Supergirl. Um... I don't know how aware the general audience is, but she, when she was cast as Supergirl, she was in an abusive marriage, um, physically abusive and emotionally abusive. This was something that she came forward with a few years ago, um, to my extreme, most people's extreme shock, um, she had been physically abused when she went in for the the day before she went in to do the casting call for Supergirl, he threw his, I believe it was a cell phone at her and she had a scar on her eye or something like that. There was a story that she talked about on like Jimmy Kimmel where she fell down the stairs and hit her head on a potted plant, but really he had chucked something at her and like broken her eye socket or something like that. And her vision will never be the same. Um, and after all of these blowouts, she said in her, her speech basically about this, anytime these blowouts would happen, he would recoil into himself and, you know, the thing that she said, he would take, he would carry her to the bathtub and just let the water run, you know, wash the blood away and she would feel that he regretted it and he would be crying and say sorry and she fell for it every time. Um, not anything against her. Oh, never anything against her. Um, but that is something that this, the me you love in the dark has had me thinking about recently. Um, and has me very curious how things are going to end for Ro. Um, we don't know if she's going to get out of this alive. The foreshadowing for the next issue is that the house is on fire, but will she have to burn it down, including her art to escape this? Will she make it out before it's too late? It's kind of hard to tell. Will, will there be someone to help her? I know Melissa, Melissa Benoist, just to wrap up that story, um, she did get help after having been on Supergirl for some time. Um, she, I believe she met the actor who plays um, Val Zod, who is not Asian on that show for some reason. Um, not Val Zod. The other one. Was it Val Zod? I don't care. Whoever he is. Um, <laughs> whoever he is that he's playing, they they are now married. 
um, she divorced the abuser who was an actor that she met on Glee. Uh, if I had his name, I would tell you so that you can avoid him and everything that he does. Although I'm pretty sure that he's pretty much been blacklisted at this point because I have not seen him in shit since she came out with this. Um, and so now she's married and in a really good relationship and I think they just had a baby together. So uh, she is doing so much better, but this is definitely feeling like uh, an allegory of trying to find love for yourself everywhere but in yourself and she's having to learn that you know she didn't need to ha have her life revolve around this being to be worthy and to be loved so um, we'll see how it ends though <laughs> see if I'm right about that Dirtbag Rapture number two wasn't as good as the first issue, admittedly, but whatever is. Um, the stuff that we learn in this issue is that there are angels and there are demons. They're basically just ghosts who have subscribed to good or bad. They aren't actually angels or demons. Um, and so this one ghost who, you know, approached her the first issue is 100 years old. Uh, the angel and demon ghosts, for whatever reason, they want her to help complete this demonic occult ritual thing uh, so they can kind of help wreck the world. They even run into one of the demonic cops who gives them like a massive wad of cash to get the ghost to Paris, which is where they need her to be to do this ritual thing. Um, but she doesn't do that. Obviously, she takes the money and, and does other stuff with it. Um there is at one point, though, that the ghosts in her inner mind have some kind of secret that they mention that she's not ready to, to hear yet, so I'm wondering what that is. And the issue ends with her refusing to choose which side between angels and demons that she wants to uh, go with. She refuses to choose, and they attempt to possess her. I don't think that's going to work out just because she already has so many ghosts inside her as it is. Um, and she's not just a normal person, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Finally, Batman Reptilian number five was a really, really great climax, but Garth Ennis needs some therapy. Not really news, no, but it just continues to be a problem that I see. Um, in this issue, the enormous terrifying monster baby approaches Killer Croc and sees that it has no way to suckle to feed on him so it starts to adapt moves to the next base instinct and batman explains that it's trying to get killer croc now to mate with it again i say garth ennis you need therapy um he's obviously not going to do that though and it chases them into a ditch where they have to wait it out while all of this is going on batman has <laughs> explaining in like the driest most scientific way of just observation spice up only a little bit with like dry humor about how you know this must be so awful for killer croc but he doesn't care that it is so <laughs> just moving on constantly <laughs> that sucks to be you anyway <laughs> basically is what it is uh and then batman guesses at the creature oh at one point i guess he guesses at the creature instead of or because that it is two opposing species with two opposing driving natures, he says that it has likely gone insane. And again, I reiterate the design of this creature is literally nightmare material. I hope to God that Liam Sharp's kids did not accidentally see any of this art while he was putting it on. Nightmares for life. Um, Batman in the end gets the Batmobile to use as bait and has the creature follow it to where he and Croc escape to. 
where there are also, for some reason, puffin bird watchers of Gotham. <laughs> when they see the creature, they all think that they're going to die, but Batman says that he'll die before he lets it eat them. And then he grabs an underwater breathing mouthpiece and jumps into the creature's mouth. Based on the preview art of the next issue, it looks like Batman is going to try and eat his way out of it. Uh, he's definitely going to survive the issue, but whether or not the creature is going to be dead and gone, I suppose it must be if he eats his way out. <laughs> it's just a little weird. <laughs> but what else is new? Like I said, Liam Sharp, he needs help. <laughs> All right, now we're going to talk the long-awaited Morbius trailer. I don't know if it's long-awaited. The Morbius trailer breakdown. My just general thoughts after watching the full trailer is that I am conflicted. It looks like the act, it looks like the movie has a lot of different angles. Maybe depth you could take that as having depth. On the other hand, it could be them trying to go in too many different directions with the subject matter. And the vibe, which really wouldn't be nearly as good. Um, or it could just be them throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. I hopefully it's it's just has it's the depth. Hopefully it has a lot of depth. Hopefully that's what it is. Um, in, in case you want to know about Morbius in the comics, Morbius first appeared as an enemy of Spider-Man in The Amazing Spider-Man number 101 in October 1971, created by Roy Thomas and designed by Gil Kane. Despite his initial status as one of Spider-Man's and Blade's horror-based villains, Morbius ends up becoming a brooding, gritty, and tragically flawed anti-hero in his own series and subsequent titles. His secret identity is the former award-winning biochemist Michael Morbius, who was infected with vampiric parallel superhuman abilities and traits after a failed biochemical experiment conducted to cure his rare blood disease. The rest of his history shows his struggles with his pseudo-vampiric persona, his lust for human blood, and his efforts to cure his condition, plus his eventual stint as a nightmarish vigilante. He is good friends with Jack Russell, aka Werewolf by Night, who helped him with con who he helped with his condition. Also friends with Manthing and Ghostwriter, as they were all members of the Midnight Suns, aka the Nine, alongside Hannibal King, Frank Drake, Sam Buchanan, Victoria Montesi, and Louise Hastings. The Midnight Suns, fascinating, fascinating. Interestingly enough, are re are are rumored as being a like pre pre idea for the MCU that we might see in a few different in a few phases forward as for the trailer itself the general plot of the movie dr michael morbius is dealing with a rare blood disease and then being surrounded by bats and transforming into a super strong bloodthirsty vampire that grammar wasn't right but whatever you get it while morbius wants to use his powers for good the monster inside wants to feed very general overview of the movie the footage that we see that was new it did reference uh, a couple of, at a couple of different points in the wider Spider-Man universe, including, as we've seen before, the Raimi Spider-Man graffiti, the Daily Bugle front page with a headline about Rhino on the Loose, which references, obviously, Rhino, played by Paul Giamatti in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which was the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. There's also Spider-Man graffiti with the word, I guess that was the murderer one, which, um potentially leans towards Tom Holland's Peter Parker being accused of killing Mysterio. 
in Far From Home, and then there is the direct name drop of Venom. Um, in one scene, a police officer says, we haven't had anything this good since that thing in San Francisco, which is referencing Eddie Brock's home city and the events of Venom. And then later on, Morbius says, I am Venom, when a uh, joke at the end, which is like, that could be funny. We'll just have to wait and see if that works out or if that's just like a joke in a bad place. <laughs> um, we also see Michael Keaton's vulture in the trailer, or more specifically, Adrian Toomes who is his, his, you know, regular persona. And finally, there is an Oscorp building that we see um, on one of the cityscapes. The cast of the movie, Jared Leto obviously plays Morbius. Matt, Spliss, <laughs> Matt Smith is playing Luxias Crown, who is Morbius's friend who suffers from the same rare blood disease that he does. In, co in the comics, Luxias Crown is a Hydra scientist who kidnapped Morbius to study his vampiric condition. During his escape, he bit Luxias Crown, turning him into a pseudo-vampire like himself. Crown then calls himself Hunker. Adriana Arona, or oh gosh, Adria Arona, I have no idea how to say that, is playing Martine Bancroft, who is Morbius's fiance, which is the same as she is in the comics. In the comics, she's also a scientist who helps him out with his condition. She becomes like him and then is cured by a character named Stroud, who we'll get to in a minute. She is shot dead by someone called Langford. The actor Jared Harris is playing Morbius's mentor. I wouldn't be surprised if that turns out to be Langford. Al Madrigal is playing Alberto Rodriguez, who is one of the FBI agents hunting Morbius, and Tyrese Gibson plays Simon Stroud, the other FBI agent hunting Morbius. In the comics, Simon Stroud is a rogue CIA agent who was first introduced hunting the uh, the man-wolf creatures in On the Loose. Oh gosh, I can't read. Man-wolf and creatures on the loose, 30 to 37, and Marvel premiere, 45 to 46, and has been hunting Morbius since Adventures into Fear, number 27. Stroud and Morbius last crashed in Morbius the Living Vampire, volume 2, number 23. So he's a big deal villain for the character of Morbius. As for potential connections to the future of the MCU, Morbius is a key player in Jennifer Walters' She-Hulk transformation, which not a lot of people realize. While she gets the original transfusion from her cousin Bruce that makes her a Hulk, her body doesn't immediately take to her being sensational as soon as she transforms. It takes time and work, and when things start to get painful and uncontrollable with her Hulk form, she turns to Michael Morbius, a doctor of blood and the living vampire. He finds a way to solve her apparent blood issues by using his own cure on her, although it won't work on himself so she can control her Hulk form more easily and transform back and forth at will. In exchange, Jennifer Walters acts as his attorney in court to prove him innocent of various accused killings. Do I want that to be in the MCU? Obviously. Do I think that we will see it? Right now, my guess would be logically no. Uh, but Venom did just get sucked into the main MCU. No Way Home isn't out yet, and neither is a Multiverse of Madness or even this movie, Morbius. So... I don't think it's safe to claim any of this is impossible. We'll just have to wait and see. Obviously, Morbius has a lot of connections with Spider-Man, but he comes across a lot of mystical characters like Stephen Strange, Brother Voodoo, and Elsa Bloodstone as well every so often. Uh, Bloodstone, who actually I think Voodoo and Bloodstone are rumored to be in the MCU. At least I know Bloodstone for Blade and I think Voodoo for Multiverse of Madness, if I'm not mistaken. Um... 
And like I had mentioned before, Morbius being a good friend of Jack Russell, the werewolf by night, it makes sense that when Marvel no doubt announced Bernal to be the newer Native American version of the character, the two can still have that relationship, which is also an MCU possibility. Finally, let's talk Eternals, the precast for Eternals. Eternals comes out today. It's potential that you're watching, listening to this after having already seen it. I have not seen it. It's not quite four o'clock on the 5th. Um, I will be seeing it after six. Now that that matters, because I won't be talking about it until Monday. My theory on, (coughs) excuse me, the general plot of this movie, um, based on rumors as well as... Mm, comic stuff. Um, I think that Icarus is probably going to be somehow uh, taken over by the Deviants, perhaps with the help of Druig, who has mind control powers, and he is going to be convinced by them to kill Ajax. The other Eternals will not know that that was him, but then in the end it will be revealed that it was him and he's going to be just as shocked as everybody else because he doesn't know that's what he did. It's potential that he could be killing Thena and not Ajax. Um, one of them, it's going to be one of them. Um, but she's like the leader. So I figured it might be Ajax. Um, and then, you know, Dane Whitman comes through to help them fix him or whatever. Um, that's my theory on it right now. The movie is directed by Chloe Zhao, who also wrote it. Um, not the, not the plot, but she wrote the script. Um, there are two post-credit scenes, both of which I've One I've had spoiled. I mean, they're both only half spoiled, I guess. We all know about the one that literally the night of the premiere was all over the internet, and I don't think you could have avoided it if you were online at all. Uh, And the other one I saw today on accident, I know a character who's going to be involved in it, but I don't know anything else that happens in the context. So, Uh, But it'll be exciting based on the characters who we know are going to be in those scenes. The characters who are going to be the main characters of Eternals. Gemma Chan is humankind. This is all from the Marvel site, okay? Gemma Chan is from human as as humankind loving Cersei. Mike Richard Madden as the all powerful Icarus. Kumail Nanjiani as cosmic powered Kingo. Leah McHugh as the eternally young old soul Sprite. Brian Tyree Henry as the intelligent inventor Fastos. Lauren Ridloff as the super fast Makari. Barry something Irish as aloof loner Druig. Don Lee as powerful Gilgamesh. Kit Harrington as Dane Whitman. Salma Hayek as wise and spiritual leader Ajak. And Angelina Jolie as warrior Thena. If you are at all curious about the one who is not an eternal, that would be Dane Whitman. Uh, who is Black Knight. He was created by Roy Thomas and artist John Bushima. He first appeared in The Avengers number 47 in December 1967. His whole dealio is that he inherited a mystical sword that carried a curse and took the Black Knight name to help restore honor. He has been a longtime member of The Avengers of various teams as well as the defenders ultra force hero for hire and even mi-13 is that the i'm guessing that's the british something right mi-6 i don't know um anyway he starts a relationship with cersei in the comics 
at the same time as his interest in Crystal, who is married at also, uh, Crystal the Inhumans, and she becomes mentally unstable due to then-current events, and they spend a lot of time traveling universes together. Neither of them are relevant to the other in the comics anymore. What I know about Black Knight all has to do with his Doctor Strange appearances and his Defenders appearances. Um, so, he actually was, yeah, he was, he had some pretty key stuff happening there, um, which you can go and read all about on the internet. But that is what I have for the episode today. It's a little, well, it's over an hour. I don't think that's short. I will be back for the next episode on Monday, November 8th for episode 40A. I will be talking comic book poll list for the coming week. I will be talking Eternals review. I will be talking Doom Patrol as well as Young Justice catch up because I am super behind on watching those. And I will be talking whatever interesting and relevant things are in the news between now and then. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. As I said in the beginning, please rate the episode on Apple iTunes if you have it five stars or Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. Uh, whether you like the podcast or not, rate it, rate it five stars and write whatever you want or write nothing as a review. And it will then be ex- more accessible and viewable to more people. Um, thank you again for all of your support and for listening to whatever the parts of the podcast that you do. Um, it is, it is, it is Eternals weekend. So go see Eternals if you are able to safely, you know. Um, and if not, I will have a nice non-spoiler review for you come Monday. Stay cool and dry unless you want to be hot and sweaty. Uh, do be sweaty about comics if you're sweaty at all. And, uh, don't be a douchebag. Have a nice week.